0: Hi, everyone. I'm Bill Nordstrom, and welcome to the program. We have a special guest today, my good friend, Dr. Brock Hollett. Brock is a psychiatrist physician in Sarasota, Florida. He has quite a background in education and theology with a, a very special interest in the end times, the end of the age. Brock's also an author, and he's with us today to talk about his new book, Jesus, the Jews and the End of the Age. Rock, welcome to the program today.
1: Thank you, Bill. Thanks for having me.
0: You know, the last time we were together, we talked about your book, Debunking Preterism, a very important book, by the way, and uh, we should be reading it, especially in these critical days. But, you know, today we want to offer some congratulations on your brand new book. It was just published, Jesus, the Jews, and the End of the Age. That's quite a comprehensive title And it certainly covers a lot of biblical territory. So if you would, explain to us a bit how you were able to pull all these three important elements, these subjects together.
1: Yes, so it it came naturally just by virtue of studying the scriptures and what the scriptures say about the end of of, uh, the age, what they say about uh, the coming of Jesus Christ and the age to come. And when you do a study of all those end-time prophecies, those themes just naturally surface. And so a book that's comprehensive and deals with these type of subjects is going to have uh, an element, a strong element of all three of those. If it's avoiding one of those, then it's it's more of one's preconceived ideas instead of letting the Scripture speak for itself.
0: Jesus, the Jews in the End of the Age— it may seem like a, an oxymoron to summon the church, you know, probably because one of the most neglected subjects in the church these days is the centrality of Israel and God's plan to save humanity. It's so little connected in the church and from the pulpits. And how do you tackle that in the book?
1: Well, that's right. I mean, this this book is just over 400 pages. So it's really a comprehensive overview, if you will, of what the scriptures say uh, about the end times. And so everything in here, I tried to deal with every scripture in the Bible that deals with the end times. And so I have a chapter on, for example, all Israel being saved in chapter 14. So Uh, And there are other there's another chapter in chapter 16 on the new and everlasting covenant, which deals very tightly with that same type of concept. That is to say that God is not done with with Israel, the Jewish people, and even the modern the modern nation of Israel, that God is going to do something marvelous with them, a marvelous work and a wonder. And he's going to bring them to Christ and graft them into the Holy Church once again to join all those who are in Christ. Now that's not to say there's not Jews already in the church. Of course there are, there's always been a faithful remnant, but God is going to bring about a corporate salvation of this nation. And it's gonna be a beautiful thing. I think the scriptures are clear about that. And there are many today that deny that, which is unfortunate, but the book gets into it a lot as to why we ought to, to hold to those views. And, you know, think about the history of the church. You know, Israel was destroyed as a nation in, in AD 70. And and uh, what was remaining was destroyed, you know, um, 50, 60 years later. And really, the Jews have been in a exiled condition ever since. They've been in the diaspora is the, the word we use for that exile. And the church throughout most of its history did not see a nation of Israel. They did not see a gathering, significant gathering of Jews in the Holy Land. They did not see a temple. They did not see uh, Jerusalem being um, owned and governed by the Jewish people. So So it naturally was a temptation for so many believers to simply try to explain away what the Bible says about the salvation of the Jews at the end times. But now we don't have that excuse any longer. Uh, It ought to be very clear to us, not just because of historical understanding, but because of properly exegeting and interpreting the Scripture that God is not done with the Jewish people. In fact, the things that we've seen in the last few hundred years with the Jewish people are really the beginnings or the necessary precursors of the things that God has for the Jewish people in these last days.
0: You know, uh, Rock, so often the church, when it starts to talk about the things that are going to occur at the end of the age, the first place we jump is to the book of Revelation or maybe the Olivet Discourse and so forth. Um, Tell us a little bit of how you start, especially with regard to the Old Testament prophets. There's a ton of information these wonderful prophets gave us. And not only that, but the apostles read those prophets.
1: That's right. And when we see in the Old Testament, how the various prophets prophesied about the future, about the end times, about the Messiah, about the work of what the Christ would do, and the things that he would do, not just for the salvation of Israel, but for all the nations. When we see that, we, we have to recognize as Christians that when those prophecies were given, a lot of times they were enigmatic or mysterious. Not that they weren't clear when understood properly, but very difficult at times to understand. Even when you have the entire Old Testament, even if you know the Hebrew, Um, but that's not to say that they don't have, uh, that there's not a clear understanding of what those texts mean, but when Jesus came and is the fullness of everything the prophets point to. And he is not only that he gave the law. He gave us the prophets. He gave us, uh, the old Testament through the inspiration of the Holy spirit. And so he is the divine interpreter. He's the interpreter par excellence of the old Testament. So when Jesus came, He provided the church with a level of clarity and revelation, especially at Pentecost and in the days after Pentecost, as the apostles laid down the apostolic uh, gospel in its fullness, and which we, of course, have inherited and, and continues to this day. But that clarity of what the Old Testament meant is understood by the things that Jesus has revealed. So what was concealed in the Old Testament And hidden in plain sight is revealed and clarified, not distorted, not replaced, nothing like that by Jesus and the apostles, but rather clarified and understood and elucidated. And so uh, when we see that, uh, we can really understand the Old Testament. So I go to Jesus first and I see what Jesus said. And of course, the Olivet Discourse is the heart of what Jesus said about the end times. But he said a whole lot of other things as well. As, as did his apostles that he anointed and ordained for that task to lay down the scriptures and to establish the church. They also elucidated and clarified the things of the Old Testament. And we go to the Old Testament. Jesus told us, go back to Daniel, see what Daniel said. So we go to Daniel and we see what Daniel said. And of course, Daniel borrows from Isaiah, from Ezekiel and Jeremiah and the other prophets, and the minor prophets borrow from them. And so we see this entire network of scriptures that really lays out a beautiful tapestry of what's going to happen in the future, how that pertains to you and I, and to the rest of those who profess the name of Jesus Christ and the Holy Church, and also to to those that don't yet know Christ, that he is calling unto himself in these end times. And so So I I go to Jesus and I see what he and his apostles said. And of course, they said nothing except that which was in the law and the prophets, which is what the Apostle Paul eloquently told us in the book of Acts. He said, listen, this is not something new. It's only new in the sense that it's being revealed in power. But it's that which was concealed and hidden in times past and has now been made clear through the mystery of the gospel.
0: You know, the, (laughs) the Jews have a much different view of the Messiah. And uh, all of this, of course, is in the in the context of the many views of the end of the age. And um, there's supposed to be a harmony there. Um, how do you pull that together for the reader?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, when you look at, at, at the rubric that Jesus gave us, the chronology that he gave us, the The basic summary is that there's this age, this present evil age where sin abounds because of the fall and because of the ubiquitous nature of sin and man's um, continual voluntary choosing to participate in that sin and the age to come that is being brought about by the work of the Messiah, the Davidic Messiah, and at the time of the end. Now, there was an added twist that the New Testament reveals to us that once again is hidden in the old, but now revealed in the new. And so we find it in both testaments of the Bible. And that is that the end of the age, the things that happened at the time of the end, when Jesus returns in glory, have already penetrated in some very real sense into the present evil age, not just in the sense that, the gospel is accessible to us and we can come to know Christ. I mean, that's true. And that's a big part of it. But it's also that the Messiah himself came before the time that he isn't just coming at the time of the end, but that he came early to not early on God's timetable, but early, according to the estimation of, of, uh, of the Pharisees and so forth. But he came to suffer and to die and to humble himself and become obedient, even to the death on the cross for the sins of the world. And so these mysteries that we see, Um, Through a glass darkly without the revelation of the New Testament um, in the old, we we nonetheless do see those prophecies there. And what's interesting is that we not only see this, but we see all the powers of the age to come being penetrated into the present, not just in in the, the fact that they're accessible to us, but for example we see that there's going to be an eternal judgment that's coming, where every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, everyone will be judged according to his deeds. But yet we see that judgment has already come, not only the judgment of this world, the casting out of the enemy and so forth that Jesus talked about through, the work, through his work on the cross, where he triumphed over, over the enemy through his death, but we also see uh, that those who are in Christ have passed from death to life. So resurrection at the time of the end is in a very real sense already being appropriated to Christians through the gospel so that we are being raised and regenerated now before the end of the age. And so we see the judgment. We see that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus because um, Christ has received that judgment on the cross. Uh, But we also see that the wicked are already being judged. In Romans chapter one and two, for example. So we're seeing, you know, the apostle John tells us in first and second John, in those two epistles, that the Antichrist is coming. And you've heard that this guy is coming, but I tell you that Antichrists are already here, that there's a long series of Antichrists that are already in our day. And that's how we know that we are in the end of the age, that we that this is the last hour, he tells us in first John. I mean, that's rather Uh, A startling statement because, you know, um, Jesus didn't come in all his glory to to uh, put all his enemies under his feet all at once. But he is progressively doing so while he sits at the right hand of God as judge, as the son of David and and so forth.
0: You know, I one of the things uh, you and I can agree on is that one of the great, the greatest revival in history is yet to come on the earth. And it's going to be right in the context of Jesus and the Jews. And the Gentiles are kind of right in the middle of that. So, how do you approach that in the book? Do you do you touch on that a bit?
1: I do. There's a chapter on you will be my witnesses, it was just chapter eight. And in that chapter, I focus not just on the two final witnesses who will testify in Jerusalem for 42 months, but I also testify about the greater. Corpus of witnesses, the, the Holy Church, which is, of course, much more than just two men, but several men as well, uh, several women as well, who will testify to the goodness and grace of Christ. There will be an ev- uh, evangelical witness of the gospel throughout the nations, which we already see. But it tells us in the Book of Revelation that there's a there's an angel in the midst of heaven, heaven, having the everlasting gospel, proclaiming with a loud voice that the people, the earth dwellers, ought to repent and and to receive the good news. And so that's not just an, it's not an angel walk, you know, flying around uh, verbally proclaiming to to the, the last remnants of people that didn't hear the gospel that they need to hear the gospel, but rather I see that as the, the flip side of what's going on on the earth, which is to say that that angelic witness in heaven is being mirrored by what happens to, with the servants of God here on the earth as the church proclaims with power and great glory that the King is coming, and that we need to repent and believe in the gospel. And and as part of that, um, I think that, uh, well, I I won't take any more time, Bill, with that. uh, But,
0: you know, the the, the Gentile church, uh, the bottom line here is the Gentile church are going to be a central figure in this revival. They're going to be a voice to the Jew in the most critical time in history, joining this all together, making sense of the unprecedented activities of the Holy Spirit that are going on at this time.
1: That's right. And, and that's really where I, I would want to go if I continue further with it. Because if you look at what Moses said in, in Deuteronomy, you know, he spoke both in the, the Song of Moses, right? And we see in, um, at the end of Deuteronomy, we see this idea that the nation of Israel will very quickly uh, go into apostasy, will worship idols and abandon the God of Israel. And that that would happen very soon, but it would also happen progressively. And we see that throughout the Song of Moses. And and of course, we see it throughout the history of Israel, where the vast majority of the people rejected the witnesses that God sent, rejected the commandments that he laid before them, whereas only a few received that inner, inner heart that was um, after God's own heart. And so what it tells us, though, is it says that God will, because you have worshipped these other gods, Um, in these other nations who speak with a foreign tongue, I will then measure for measure send somebody who speaks with a foreign tongue uh, a foolish nation that the Apostle Paul talks about in in the Corinthian letters as being in Romans as being the church, which is largely at least at this time, largely comprised of of Gentiles, of nations that don't speak in the language of, of the Jewish people and they will speak to Israel to get your attention and so we know that that's the gospel, and Isaiah, of course, uh, expounds on this. And in my book, I go, I, I explain that quite a bit. I talk about the sealed scroll of Isaiah and how that relates to the sealed prophecies of Daniel and Habakkuk, and how Jesus talks about these sealed things and how they're revealed to the church through the mind of Christ, and how a largely Gentile church is calling the Jews to join her and to be participate in the blessings and promises of Christ, which belong to Israel. You know, the
0: book is quite scholarly, and that's a good thing. It's good for us to read the scholars (laughs) and what they have to say. Uh, Sometimes we uh, just like to look at the pictures. But at any rate, I'm trying to reach uh, a young generation of of young adults, uh, many who are absolutely clueless about the end of the age or the end times. Is there going to be some takeaway for them if they read the book?
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, the book is is laid out chronologically and fairly topically as well, to lead the reader into the events as they occur, as they will occur, leading up to the return of Christ, including his return, and then the things that will happen after in the kingdom. And it's really laid out in, in a way that's that's meant to reach a wide audience. So my first few books were written for very narrow audience—people interested in preterism and needing to believe that, and you know, needing to be equipped for, for that, for that false teaching. And the other one is written specifically for religious Jews. It's a very narrow um, audience. This one is really written for all Christians who, you know, who can read and who are interested in end time things. Of course, um, it's not highly academic. I would say it's quasi academic. It doesn't interact much with the uh academic uh writers it doesn't go into you know this commentator says this i i really avoided that altogether. i, I really elucidate the scriptures and when i do quote somebody it's almost exclusively the early church fathers and I, I even do that very sparsely so it's mostly an exposition of scripture right and it's got tons of pictures you know illustrative uh diagrams charts tables Uh, a very exhaustive scriptural uh, index at the end, so that it relates well to a variety of learners.
0: You know, the book has some very notable reviews. Uh, One in particular I was struck by was Dr. Walter Kaiser Jr., the Old Testament professor at gordon Conwell Seminary. That was quite of a review he gave you.
1: It really was. It was quite an honor to hear him say the things he did.
0: Do you have any uh, last key takeaways that you'd like to, to share before we leave?
1: Yeah, I think, I think uh, one thing that's important about, about this particular book is that if finances are an issue, I would encourage you to get the, the electronic book, the ebook. It's on Kindle in a couple different formats. You can find it all over the Internet. But if you are able to go ahead and get the hardcover, I would encourage you to do so. Uh, during COVID, book prices and printing and all that have gone up quite a bit. So the the lower the lowest price I could make it is twenty nine ninety nine. But I will tell you that the quality of the of the book is is unbelievable. They did a great job with the cover. I wish I wish you could see it now, but you can certainly see it on on Amazon, for example, and several other platforms. But again, it's over four hundred pages. It's cream colored, beautiful, beautifully laid out. The team who did it did a great job. And uh, I think you'll really want to have the hard copy if you're able to go that direction, because it just uh, it's really the way they did it. It's just it's impressive.
0: I really appreciate you sharing it with us today. Almost never are these three great controversies, Jesus, the Jews, the end of the age. uh, Hardly ever are they all brought together in such a way that we could actually prepare people. For the soon coming season of the Lord's return. So I'm, I'm glad you wrote the book, and I believe it's going to be a, a must-have on bookshelves. Brock, I appreciate you joining us today, and uh, the book can be purchased on Amazon, either the hardcover or the e-book. So before we leave, I'd like to pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for my, my friend, Brock. I thank you for the gift that you've given to him to write such an extraordinary volume on the most important time that we're approaching in human history. Jesus, the Jews, the covenant people, he began, you began with them, and you're going to end with them. And we Gentile church members are going to be right in the mix. So we thank you, Father, that we're going to have more revelation on that. As we uh, proceed through the book, Father, our eyes will be open. Bless Brock. Bless his family. And Father, the blessing of Abraham fall upon him. May he be blessed going in, blessed going out, um, above and not beneath. And may, Father, everything he sets his hands to do, may it prosper in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. For Dr. Brock Hollett, I'm Bill Nordstrom and Maranatha.